Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I am thrilled. Today, I'm getting to talk with one of my favorite friends, actually, since going through the deconstruction process. His name is Chris Peck. He's a public speaking coach and a communications coach. He's actually been my public speaking coach. He's been helping me, I guess, express myself better on this podcast and feel more comfortable showing up um, in video and getting ready for the Beyond the Wound summit that I've been part of for the past several months. And he has also gone through his own deconstruction journey. We met back in 2019 at a like a business retreat. I And he was teaching about learning to public speak better. And I took some classes from him. But when he started going through his deconstruction process, uh, the same coach that kind of connected me with him the first time connected us again. And we got a chance to Throughout COVID, when we were just, you know, in video conference, we got a chance to really talk through some hard issues. And one of the issues that kept coming up for us was authenticity. And so, Chris, I am excited to introduce him to all of you today. He's got some great thoughts. And yeah, I I can't wait to see what comes up today. So welcome, Chris, to the podcast. And tell us a little bit about yourself and also like your religious background and also why you've been interested in authenticity throughout the last year when we've been having all these conversations. Yes. Thank you, Terry. I'm so excited to be on this podcast and listening now to uh, for a while, not just because I need to listen to it so I can hear how you're showing up, but also because I find the content that you're creating to be so valuable for this community. So thank you so, so much for having me. Um, yeah. Communication is hard. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up, growing up, that was my experience is that it's nuanced and it's particular and it's difficult to create relationships and it's difficult to express ourselves in group, different groups of individuals. And I do think there are people who have natural ability to show up and be the best version of themselves. And then I think there are individuals who get vastly left behind by mm-hmm. an underserving education system that doesn't really prioritize communication. And then I think there are a whole bunch of us in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's where I found myself being growing up. And I have to say, you know, my background is in theater and theater was the place where I really got to shine as a communicator. I think a lot of people are nervous around theater. Uh, They think of it as public speaking. I have to get up. I have to present myself. But theater for me was a place where I could go and know exactly what to say and exactly what to do in order to create a story. And those were areas in my life that I didn't really have, like, I didn't know how to show up and know exactly what to say and exactly, you know, the most clever, funny thing to say with my friend, my friend groups. 
but I could be funny on stage. Mm-hmm. Somebody else wrote that line for me and it was brilliant. And so I, I was really empowered by theater. Um, and I was an actor. And then in college, I got introduced to directing. And that's really where I shine in the work that I do with my clients now as a communication coach and a public speaking coach is one of the things I realized is that I love being the first audience member. And that's really the responsibility of the director. Like when we think about theater, theater has been going on as long as there have been people. You know, as long as there have been people sitting around a fire telling stories, there's been theater. But the convention of the director is only about 150 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Prior to that, the individual who would have been responsible, quote unquote, directing might have been like in ancient Greece, it would have been the playwright. But the playwright has an agenda because they wrote the play. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Shakespeare's time, you would have had an actor manager, but the actor manager had several agendas. They uh, had to direct the play, but they were also in the play, but they were also the emissary between them and whoever the uh, the wealthy patron was who was financing their group. And so there were all these individuals that they had to please. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't until the 19th century that you have the the character of the director, the, the individual, the director who steps back and the only agenda that they had was to serve as the audience's emissary, is to say, what does this play feel like? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. How is it going to be experienced? And to, so, so to be able to sit back and be an audience member. And that's what I like to do as a communication coach is communicate. Communicating is so hard, whether you're getting prepared for a TED talk or or you're trying to come up with a story for your organization, or you're having challenging conversations with a boss or coworker, mm-hmm. sometimes it's really helpful to have an objective personality to sit back and say, this is what I see. This is what I feel. This is what I'm experiencing. Is that what you're going for? And even more than that, having, having a professional in that, that space who's been doing this for a really long time, who knows the tricks and the tools that can be applied to make that communication land just a little bit stronger. And so that's how I show up for my clients. That's how I've had to learn to show up for myself, my own growth and healing. Um, You know, like I said, I started this work as a public speaking coach, but in my own work, it's been my interpersonal skills that Mm -hmm. have really required a lot of thought. Uh, 2023 for me is all about getting curious with others. How do we listen actively? How do we, uh, show up and be interested in other individuals? How do we make them feel good about themselves when they're communicating to us in order to help share influence? Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned it. I grew up in the Church of Christ, and the Church of Christ is a legalistic, fundamentalist, quote-unquote, sect of Protestantism, although they refer to themselves as non-denominational, which is probably a term that many of our listeners are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a branch that came about in the 19th century. It was started by two individuals, Bart Stone and Alexander Campbell, who basically looked at the Protestant Reformation and said, all of these organizations have gotten so far from the quote-unquote first century church, which of course is just the first century as it was articulated you know, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Mm-hmm. But, but basically looking at that and going, they've gotten so far away from this. The New Testament says nothing about using musical instruments, so we're going to get rid of musical instruments. Of course, it's a patriarchal organization. Uh, The New Testament talks about eldership and deaconship, but there's no space for another hierarchy. And so outside of elders and deacons, there's no other established hierarchy within the Church of Christ. And so just very legalistic by the quote-unquote book, 
and and very high control in the way that it's you know if we use Steve Hassan's bite model in the way that it's influencing behavior, it's influencing information, it's influencing thought. Um, and my deconstruction started a couple of years ago, like you talked about, is a couple of years ago. I I had already deconverted years before, but there were things that were showing up in my life that were making it challenging for me to build relationships, making it uh, challenging my relationship with money. And I was just like, there's some stuff that I haven't worked through mm-hmm. and I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the Journey Free Group, which is Marlene Winnell's group. And from that, I got connected to some other individuals. I got connected to you. And, and the last couple of years have been this really challenging and rewarding journey that will last literally the rest of my life, you know, towards kind of like health and healing uh, in my own relationship with spirituality and religion and, and how that's impacted me throughout my life. Yeah. I love how you put that, that it's, you know, it's challenging and it's freeing because I, I think that's exactly what it is. It's bold at the same time. It's, it's, it can be challenging and heartbreaking and, um, you might feel yourself experiencing grief or anger, but at the same time, there's all this freedom and all this, like, I don't know. I just remember feeling like really expansive and like anything's possible. And that was both really exciting and absolutely terrifying when I realized mm-hmm. like there is no box anymore. I can mm-hmm. move about freely. And so, which kind of brings us to our topic today about authenticity and if mm. there really even is such a thing as authenticity because you and I have had lots of conversations about, you know, were we being authentic when we were in high demand religion? Like the me that I was in Mormonism, absolutely a hundred percent believed that I was living by my values and my belief system and what I thought was best for me. But from the vantage point where I'm at now, I can see where I was, you know, distrusting myself or not listening to myself and listening to outside authority. And it's created this huge conversation for us about what is authenticity in the first place. And Mm -hmm. it led us to read this book, Authentic, How to Be Yourself and Why It Matters by Professor Stephen Joseph. I had heard nothing but good things about it. And I was like, maybe this will be the like the answer. Maybe maybe he will have some insight into what authenticity is because you and I have talked about it. I have read Brene Brown. I've read, um, I think Mel Robbins has some things on mm-hmm, authenticity. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, there are so many people that are talking about authenticity, but it is still this nebulous idea. And I was hoping that you and I would be able to read this book and maybe come out with some insights. And now was- you know everything, right? Like <laughs> all of our questions have been answered. Like, <laughs> there's a possibility I'm even more confused now than I was before I started reading. I mean, I have some answers. Like, I feel like I've rooted into some understanding about maybe what it is and isn't. And, but I think the biggest thing is I think I've decided that, like, does it really even matter? Like, is there a way for us just to love and accept ourselves the way we are instead of? like worrying so much about whether we're being the realist version of ourselves or not. Before we jump into the rest of this conversation, I'm excited to announce that Chris will be joining the live discussion on Wednesday, February 8th at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time. If you want to be a part of that discussion and all the weekly exclusive content, become a monthly subscriber to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. To do this, go to emancipateyourmind.org 
and look on the right side of the page if you're on your computer or down at the bottom if you're on your phone for the box that says support the podcast and give a gift. Choose any amount that works for you. Each month on the 5th, I'm given a list of new donors by mormondiscussions.org. And those people are automatically added to all of the exclusive content. But if you want to participate as soon as possible, send me an email at terry at emancipatedcoaching.com with the title, I donated, to be immediately added to the weekly email list where you'll receive exclusive bonus material and the login information for each call. If you've already become a donor and you feel like you haven't been receiving the emails, please check your spam or promotions folder or email me for additional help. So Chris, what was it like for you as you were reading? Oh, you know, it was, it was such a journey. So the first thing that I did is, you know, as I was waiting for the book to come, there's a portion of the book that's available on Amazon. And so I went through and read that. I think you remember the text where I was like, I am concerned. Like I, (laughs) I, I'm already finding myself in this place of judgment. Um, you know, there's, you know, you asked sort of my relationship with authenticity, but but existing in the theater circle, there's a lot of language that gets used in this book, pretending, performing, acting, wearing a mask. And so from the, and these, this is language that I've heard within the authenticity movement all the time. I oh, don't wear a mask, quit pretending. Uh, you just have to be your true self. And I'm like, right, what does that look like? What does that mean? What are you talking about? Like, take me further. You know, the number of individuals who, oh, you just got to be authentic. What does that mean? Be your true self. Well, what does that mean? Well, you got to be authentic. Okay, now we're just going in circles. Um, and so and so, I was already a little distrusting. So when the book actually came, I had to allow myself to exist in a place of unconditional belonging of this book. <laughs> You know, to, because I do think that the writer brings up some really great points. Mm-hmm. But what what I found most beneficial about this book is it really cemented me. In the, I have no problem with the authenticity movement. What I struggle with is the binary opposite, the mm-hmm. concept of inauthenticity. And to me, that is a really detrimental and scary term. Um, is, you know, I kind of think of it as equivalent to growing up were we behaving in such a way that we would achieve heaven or were we behaving in such a way that we would avoid hell? And to me, the binary existence of authenticity versus inauthenticity, are we trying to be authentic or are we trying not to be inauthentic? Mm. And, and that's, and especially when we're talking about authenticity and inauthenticity within this sort of like social media revolution, Mm-hmm. where our voice has a greater impact because we have access to so many more individuals. Um, I think one of the reasons why authenticity is as important as it is right now is because social media presence has become so curated that people want, I think people desperately want to see the imperfections of others mm-hmm. so that they can feel okay about their own. Mm-hmm. But again, like imperfection is not the same as authenticity, right? And so I think we're making a lot of false equivalencies along the way, and it's just kind of getting us tied up in, like you talked about, this sort of moving target that's really difficult. Even the writer. Um, what, what he flip-flops all the time. Like there oh are, 
Yeah. Well, you're looking yeah. that up. Like there are times where he's like, you know, you can be kind to yourself and, and look back at places where maybe you were inauthentic and you can be loving and compassionate to that part of yourself, understanding that you did the best that you could with the information you had at the time. And then mm-hmm. in the very next chapter, he's like, you know, almost using judgmental language for the times in our past where we've shown up in ways where, you know, maybe we did listen to outside authority instead of our own voice, or we were trying to people please, or we were trying to be perfectionistic, or we were engaged in a job or a task. We said yes, when we meant to say no, or it would have served us better to say no. And so there really is some conflict, I think, even within the author about what authenticity is. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you find what you were looking for? I did. I mean, you can feel that conflict on page 140. He says, in relationships, allow authenticity to develop. I'm not saying don't be authentic on a first date, rather that you don't need to tell the person about your deepest fears and childhood traumas there and then. Too much self-revelation too soon will scare many people off. That does not mean being inauthentic, but rather going with the rhythm of the relationships that develop. Could you imagine could you imagine if I held a class, a workshop, where I was helping men on first dates, and that's how I started? <laughs> like they would never show up on a first date ever because- Oh like, my God. Be They'd yourself, be like, it's but not easier too much to be yourself. alone. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, like show up and be yourself, but not too much because it'll scare them. But if you're not being yourself, then you're being inauthentic, and therefore you can't like actually deeply connect with anyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, And- And one of the reasons why I love this conversation about authenticity is because it does tie so well to just the challenges of communication, the challenges of showing up, being the best version of ourselves. But now we've got this interesting paradox where it's like, but I'm not allowed to perform. Mm -hmm. But communication is inherently performative. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I are performing in front of one another right now. It's, It's the presentation of self, regardless of who we're speaking to and our performance is elevated even further because we know there's an audience that's listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. and so we're performing for one another we're performing for our audiences we're performing for ourselves and now for you know for this movement to say but maybe some of those performances aren't authentic yeah and it's like okay which ones like you show me point point to the one that's not authentic help me understand because to this point i don't Yeah. Well, and especially when we come from high demand backgrounds where we may have family members or friends that are still involved in in high demand backgrounds, there's a level of safety. There are certain people that I feel more comfortable like showing more of my uncertainty and showing more of my imperfection and some of my inner conflict and some of those things too, as well as sharing some of my successes and joys, because that's not always safe to share with certain people. And there are other people that like my thought process goes through a filter Mm -hmm. before I share it because of Mm -hmm. their ability to accept or not accept the message and knowing whether it's going to be weaponized against me or not. And I don't think it's inauthentic to want to keep Mm -hmm. some of those people in my life, but to understand, you know, I'm going to have to curate what I say to you. I'm going to have to I almost have to speak it to myself inside of my brain and be the director and listen to it as if I'm the yeah. other person and say, how, how does that land? Yeah. Does that, does that give too much information? Does that feel, you know, does that feel like I'm accusing them? Because I have some very fragile people in my life that I have to be like, uh-huh. 
I, I call it the shit sandwich. I, you know, I have to like really build them up and be like, these are all the things I love about you and why I love having you in my life. This small little thing needs to change and we're going to continue to be connected. And, you know, I love you and want you in my life. Like, and then there's other people I can just say what I mean without having to filter. It can just go straight from brain out of my mouth. And I know that even if it comes out wrong, the other person's going to assume the best about me and get curious if they need to get curious. Right. But now we have this, I think, really detrimental additional layer where mm-hmm. as you're self-directing and deciding how do I need to show up, you know, with this group of individuals and this group of individuals and this person over here, now we have this additional layer that's saying, well, you need to show up as yourself all the time. Otherwise, you're doing it wrong. And in even just this internal turmoil mm-hmm. of trying to identify how we show up for others is in some way inauthentic. At least as I'm understanding this authenticity and authenticity binary. And what I'd love to do is kind of like deconstruct what it means to be both authentic and inauthentic. And I've heard so many different definitions for authenticity. I've heard you in the past, and I love this, authenticity being the ability to kind of try on different pieces. And to me, that's even a little bit echoed by the author who talks about the importance of autonomy as it relates to authenticity. I've heard authenticity as uh, alignment, right? Alignment of actions and feelings and words and just making sure, you know, the moral component of that, the ethical component of that. I've heard authenticity requires vulnerability. I've heard that authenticity requires honesty. Mm -hmm. And yet when we pick apart all of those things, is a dishonest person inauthentic? I don't think so. Yeah. Because like, raise your hand if you've never felt like you were in a position where you had to skirt the truth a little bit in order to maximize the value of your relationship in that moment. Yeah. Like what, what could be more human than that? Even chronic dishonesty, you know, that is coming, I think from an authentic place. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I think chronic dishonesty is a protective mechanism. If you grew up with uh-huh. really punitive parents, uh-huh. that if you were honest about mistakes that you made, if you were honest about, you know, a mess that you made, if you were honest about your actual feelings or thoughts, it could become very, you know, violent, abusive, punitive. Um uh-huh. and so you learn you learn to just, you know, tell part truths or avoid yeah. certain truths or, you know even flat out change the truth whenever yes. whenever you said it. And is that being inauthentic? I don't think it is. Yeah. Until yeah. we learn, like, I think we can grow to a place where that might be inauthentic. We might learn to, like, care for ourselves and build a better relationship with ourselves and feel more comfortable mm-hmm. removing ourselves from abusive situations. But until we've done that, and if we if we don't ever do that, I don't think that it's inauthentic to be that person. It's who right. you are in the moment and who you are in the moment is who you are in the moment. Right. I, I feel like you're never more authentic than who you are right now. Yeah. You know, and, and tomorrow you'll be like, you'll never be more authentic than you are. That You know, it's just like, it's, we grow as individuals and the pursuit of this sort of ideal authenticity to me, it just feels kind of maddening. 
Because yeah. again, are we pursuing authenticity or are we avoiding inauthenticity? Mm-hmm. And are we are we pursuing and, and the writer even like gets into some precarious places here where who determines our authenticity? Yeah. Do I determine my own authenticity and who I am, or is it my audience? Mm-hmm. Is it my relationships? And and uh the the section of the book that that strikes me when that is is when he was talking about the church. Uh, there was the the church in Europe that uh, wasn't allowing individuals. I, I don't remember exactly how the story, but essentially the perception of the church was really negative. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to use that as an argument for inauthenticity. But to me, that's just the difference between intent and impact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this, yeah. The same thing with uh, the same thing with uh, the authenticity as it serves politics right now. You know, and talking about why certain individuals have been successful in political races versus other individuals. And this perception of authenticity, for, you know, so who decides what authenticity is? Well, and I can think of certain political candidates in recent years that, you know, I had family members perceive as very authentic because they were rough around the edges, said whatever mm-hmm. they wanted to say, even if it was really offensive and mean Mm -hmm. and if that's what we're viewing as authentic is that even good for society like i i I can't imagine that it is because we've got yeah we've got like what you're thinking and then we've also got like the relationships that i mean we're social creatures we're both individuals and we're social Mm -hmm. creatures and we're walking this like fine line between who i am and how i relate with the rest Mm -hmm. of the people we're both we're individual mm-hmm. and we're social creatures. And I'm thinking about this particular political candidate who You're so delicate. <laughs> really kind of, I think anyone listen, anyone listening yeah. knows who I'm talking about. Yeah. But like really unravels it really unraveled a lot of like social cohesiveness. And I think created right. a lot of divides in our society here in the United States because of their inflammatory language. And having done a whole segment on narcissistic personality disorder last year, a lot of that hubris is a mask. A lot of that saying whatever you want and being bombastic can be a mask for a very small and fragile ego. And so is that being authentic? Well, and and let us not forget that this particular individual is also a reality television star. True. This individual knows how to show up for audiences. This individual knows what audiences want and, you know, good or bad went in and had a better brand, yeah. had a brand that resonated with an audience that was deeply distrusting of the other candidates mm-hmm. that created safety through a bullying persona and, and created a safe space for a, a safe space, you know, however we want it, but essentially created a safe space for people who were excited about the, hearing that kind of rhetoric again. Yeah, absolutely. And just for those listening, I'm not saying his name, not because I'm trying to be politically correct. I just really hate giving attention to people who love and crave that attention to like massage their egos. So that's why I'm not saying the name. It's really not for political correctness. It's because I just don't want to feed the fire. Although I bet you can all guess. (laughs) I'm sure you can all guess, but I don't want 
his name to show up anywhere in my podcast or my space. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, um, so what do you think? Like what, what is inauthentic to you? Like, what is you know, that? Like? Oh, that's such a good question because I think the only time when I'm looking at just my life and I could be absolutely wrong here, I definitely mm-hmm. don't have any answers when it comes to authenticity. I feel like the more I learn, the less I feel like I know. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, when I know that I am acting out of step with what's best for me, what I want, what I believe and what I value. Mm-hmm. And I continue to carry on that path, even after I become aware of it, mm-hmm. is when I'm being inauthentic. That's the only mm-hmm. time I can think of that I'm being inauthentic is when, you know, maybe I say yes when I mean no. Mm-hmm. And let's say I don't realize it in the moment because sometimes I don't. Someone will ask me something and my knee-jerk reaction, because I've done it for 37 years um, before I started correcting that, was just to say yes. Like to be a helper, to be what people need, to caretake. Um, And so let's say I say yes in the moment. But when I become aware, when I come home and I start to feel resentful or overwhelmed Mm. or it starts to feel like this, that was not a good choice for me. But instead of having a conversation with the person like, you know what? I said yes, but actually I, I need to reverse that. I did not think this through. This is not good for me. And I just continue forward and I harbor all the resentment, the overwhelm, all the yuck inside of me. And I decide to to just kind of swallow down the yuck so that they're not offended. For me, that's when I'm being inauthentic. Mm. However, I understand that there are times when sometimes I choose not to have those conversations and I just go through with it anyway, because for me, the price of having the conversation is higher than the price of me swallowing the yuck. And I don't know if that's inauthentic. Again, I feel like I have more questions than I have answers at this moment. You know, what I love that the writer points out is the the Greek term for authentic, authentikos, which means to act in one's own authority. And that was really illuminating for me Mm -hmm. because, and I'm sure as soon as I say this, somebody's going to come up with an extreme answer and I'm going to be like, okay, I hadn't thought of that. But even the circumstances that you just laid out, at what point are you not acting in your own authority? Even if you are placing yourself in a position of resentment and, you know, even self-harm, right? At what point are you not acting in your own authority? And that's, and that's what's a little scary to me is, you know, when we talk about resisting inauthenticity, there's like this kind of fear factor to me of, Am I not acting in my own, like, then whose authority am I acting in? And, but also I've heard that used on the flip side, where since I'm not acting in my own authority, I'm devoid of accountability and responsibility, you know? And so we've heard that too, but, but that's what I keep running into is I can't think of a circumstance where we're not, where we don't even have even if we have a limited choice, even if our choice has been compromised, you know, when you and I came out of high control religion, where mind control is used, where, um, you know, where behavior control and thought control, but even with, 
in that limited autonomy. And I do want to talk about autonomy and autonomy and unconditional belonging. But even within that limited autonomy, we have choice. There mm-hmm. are decisions that we can make. And you talked about it as we're doing the best we can with the information that we have. Mm-hmm. And limited though it may be, it exists. And within that limited information, we are able to make choices and act in our own authority. So yeah. I just I just don't see a circumstance where we can tr- truly be an inauthentic version of ourselves. You are the only you that will ever exist. How could any part of that possibly be inauthentic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like I'm, my brain is going all over the place trying to like think of, you know, a situation where, you know, we might be inauthentic and I, and I, I, I can't really come up with one mm-hmm. because even if we're purposefully lying to someone, we're still in our own authority. We're making that choice. Even if I choose to sit in the yuck instead of have the difficult conversation with someone, mm-hmm. I'm making that choice because for whatever reason, I've decided that's the best thing for me at the time. I stayed in high demand religion, partly because I didn't have all the information, but partly because I felt like it was the right choice for me because of the information I did have. Mm-hmm. I was acting authentically at the time. I thought that what I was doing was the best choice for my life. And then I changed my mind. And does that mean I was inauthentic on either side of that equation? I don't think it does. So, yeah, and it's, and it, I think it's all, you know, there is something that you brought up. I think it's always easier for us to look back mm-hmm. and go, I wasn't being an authentic version of myself. Right. Yeah. But I also think show yourself a little self compassion. Absolutely. Because, yes, you were. I had a really interesting uh, experience. Um, my ex fiance liked one of my Instagram posts, which brought up all this stuff for me, right? <laughs> and so, so my wife and I did the only uh, adult responsible thing we could do. We Facebook stalked this person, and <laughs> we saw. So we see a picture of my ex fiance with her now husband and their two beautiful children named Luke and Levi, and um, and Ariel looks at me and goes, "That could have been you." And I go, yeah, it could have. And she goes, although you weren't being, you were being, that was, you know, that was, in, you were, you were being your inauthentic self back then. And I, I didn't say anything about that. But as I went away from that experience, I was like, no, I wasn't. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't an inauthentic version of myself. I was 25, 26-year-old Chris. I was doing the best I could with the information that I had. I loved a person in that moment. I you know, and no, things didn't work out. And yes, I grew from that into what I am now. But to look back and say that I was being inauthentic then, well, then just as easily in 10 or 15 years, I can look back at this Chris and say, well, he wasn't authentic either. You know, and that's the other challenging thing is that I don't want to get trapped in a binary. But if it's possible to be inauthentic, then are we kind of always being inauthentic? You know, like if we're always performing and like, you know, from that perspective, aren't we really only authentic when we're in the shower by ourselves alone with our thoughts? And even are we being authentic then because we have limiting beliefs, we have, you know, right? we have a limited understanding. One of the things that I love that you're bringing up is, you know, 
the versions of us that we sometimes look back and we judge are the versions that got us here. That girl that was, you know, 20 years old, trying to please everyone and get everyone to think well of her and was trying to be as perfect and achieve as much as she possibly could. She's the one that learned the lessons that allowed me to change. She's Mm -hmm. the one that brought me to my breakdown where I started seeking out therapy. She's the one that, you know, tried her hardest with her limited understanding until it broke and it it didn't work anymore. And without her, I'm not here. Without her doing the best she could with the information she had, I don't arrive at current Terry. And the mistakes I'm making now, because I'm making plenty, I will be the first person Mm -hmm. to admit that to you. The mistakes I'm making now, the things I'm trying on that don't fit, the times that I'm practicing doing something different and I'm doing it super imperfectly, this is what is creating the future version of me that will exist. The, the changed version of me that will grow and learn because I have to make mistakes. I have to, um, you know, try things on. I have to do things imperfectly in order to arrive at a, you know, grown version of myself. And right. as long as I'm judging 20 year old me, I am hindering 60 year old me because 60 year old me could just as easily, like you said, look back at 40 year old me and say, what in the world were you doing? You had this and this and this inside of you and you weren't expressing that because you were so afraid of, you know, making a mistake or, you know, making somebody feel bad or whatever. Well, of course, like, of course I'm making mistakes and of course I'm still grappling with people pleasing and perfectionism and overachieving and all those limits. Of course I am. And as I grapple with them and try things on in practice, I'm becoming who I'll be at 60 and that version of me will grapple with those things until I become the version of me that's 80 and so on and so forth. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the other piece that you just mentioned too is, you know, when we spend so much time looking back in the past and kicking past versions of ourselves, we're establishing permission for later versions of ourselves to kick us now. Like, yeah. so it's, I mean, so we just fall into this trap where we're again, never enough. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's another, to me, kind of insidious part of the, I'll say the inauthenticity movement, because I do think there's valued authenticity, particularly mm-hmm. thinking about how we show up and how we do act in our own authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be very, very empowering. But to me, what's so insidious about the inauthenticity movement is this never enoughness, like, yeah. and always concerned, am I being authentic enough? Am I doing this right Am I following all the rules? Am I, what does he like? Know yourself, be yourself. I don't know, play with the, I don't know. But Take like, accountability for yourself or something like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, these three steps, but am I following them closely enough? But if we could, and there are sects of psychology that do this, I'm looking right now at an article from Psychology Today that was written by uh, Dr. David Hanscom. And he sits on the other side of fence, the fence from authenticity, where he talks about our actions today are determined what has been programmed into us from birth. And what he means by that is we are the sum of our experiences and our relationships and our circumstances. And mm-hmm. everything we, you know, every experience we take part in plays a role in our current authentic self. Yeah. Right. That it's not something that we're striving for or looking for. It is as we exist right now in this moment, based on all the experiences, circumstances, and relationships that have molded us into who we are today. 
Mm-hmm. And if we can just look at authenticity, I love that for authenticity. Mm-hmm. And we can strip away this concept of inauthenticity. And I actually think Stephen Joseph has some really important things to say. I love what he talks about where authenticity can thrive in environments where we have autonomy and agency and unconditional belonging. Where are the places that we're allowed to try on uncomfortable pieces of ourselves in an environment and around people who will love us and accept us for who we are? Yeah. And, you know, and what can that mean for, you know, you and I both have children, right? Mine's 17 months old. Yours are, you know, teenagers now, right? Yeah. But like, what does that look like in terms of the environments that we're creating for them? But also, what does it look like for us as we're intentionally going out and finding our own community? How are we showing up so that we attract the type of people to us that will allow us to try on the uncomfortable and challenging pieces of ourselves, but do so in an environment of unconditional belonging or as unconditional, I think, as human beings are capable. Absolutely. Because that brings up, it's funny because I keep having this like little red light going off as we're talking about unconditional belonging that has to do with boundaries. And Mm -hmm. I've been having a discussion with someone in my life about unconditional belonging and love and boundaries. And, you know, we're exploring this together that, you know, is it unconditional if you have boundaries? And I Mm -hmm. think that it can be. I think you can have unconditional acceptance for someone and boundaries for yourself. So like, yeah, you can totally exist that way. And I love you. And sometimes I'm going to need space from you because that harms me. Right. So I can love you from afar. (laughs) Yeah. And what I'm hearing there though, is there's not a mutual unconditional belonging. I don't think there is. Is that you're showing up with the concept of unconditional belonging. I absolutely love you for everything that you are, but I have these needs as well. And the other individual is saying that doesn't work for me. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, and so, and, you know, and that's the other thing too, in the way that we intentionally show up and some of those relationships are chosen for us. Like we don't get to decide who our family is, No, but if we can, of course, we're going to be an internal conflict with ourselves. If we keep showing up in environments of people who want us to be someone that doesn't feel, I'm not going to say someone that we're not, because I think we're capable of performing anything and everything at any moment, but something that just doesn't feel right, something that's in conflict, where we do feel an internal to external conflict. Um, it's, you know, it's it's how I oftentimes have to show up with my family. Or yeah. I think about friends that I went to, uh, that I went to undergrad with, you know, I went to a religious university. And so a lot of those friends are still engaged in that religion. Mm-hmm. And so how do I show up when I talk to them? Do I want to be that combative guy who wants to talk down about their religion? Not really. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just go ahead, go ahead and sit in that space and it'll be a little bit uncomfortable for a little while, but I also don't spend a lot of time with those people Yeah, because I, it, because it doesn't feel like an environment where I can be autonomous, where I can try on different pieces of me right? Particularly the agnostic pieces of me that are really relishing in the joy of uncertainty and doing so in an environment where I don't have to be shamed mm-hmm. because I walked away from a religious organization. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's not where I want to show up. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, going back to our kids, we're living right now in families that have multiple different people with multiple different needs. 
Mm-hmm. At no time are we all going to be on the same page. There are going to be times where certain of us need t- like attention and, you know, we're, we're going to need like hugs and cuddles and the other person needs time alone for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I think really those places where we feel autonomous, where we feel like we can try on things is where we do communicate our various different needs. And we walk that line that we were talking about between being an individual and being part of a group. I think if everyone gets to voice their needs, which I think doesn't happen in high demand places or, you know, the places where there's a lot of control, if we all get to voice our needs without consequence, if we have children who can say, I really need love and cuddles. I need you to pay attention to me as I draw this thing for the 50th time. I need you to, um, you know, just sit and, and read to me or whatever it is. And we're able to also voice, you know, I need time to be alone and not be touched for a while. And we're able to communicate back and forth to meet yeah. both of our needs. I think that's when we create these kind of environments where both of us get our needs met, because I think so often it becomes an either or situation. I think that's what was modeled for us as kids is either our parents are getting their needs met or we're getting our needs met as kids. And either we had parents that became martyrs and poured everything into us, but then felt a lot of resentment. And now that we're adults, they have this, you owe me sort of kind of, I guess like expectation, or we had parents that are like, these are my needs and you need to mold to fit my needs because your needs are less important because you're a kid Um, and so we molded and became people pleasers and caretakers. And we kind of like, you know, melded into our parents in order to keep them emotionally happy. And now we're undoing some of those things. So I think when all parties involved can come to the table and say, this is how I feel, this is what I need. And we're able to both speak and say, okay, well, how do we meet your need and my need? I've been so impressed with my teenage kids being able to say, well, what if we did this? Like they're willing to brainstorm with me and problem solve and say, okay, that makes sense. Well, what if we did this? Like, what if we try this thing on and we try it on and then we come back and we talk about our experience, what worked and what didn't work. And we keep tweaking it together. I, I, I've noticed that it's really allowed my kids to blossom because it's okay for them to make mistakes. It's okay for them to have needs and emotions. And it's okay for me to be human as their mom too. We're going to work together to create the environment. It's not like we have this perfect environment and then we invite people in, like we're creating that environment together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I mean, it, you know, and as I hear, like what I love from that is you know, that requires so many different pieces, you know, on the one hand, like everybody being able to come together. But as I think about it, from my own perspective, I have a huge people pleaser part, because of what you were talking about this dynamic of either my needs are met, or somebody else's needs are met. Mm -hmm. And because of the high control religion that we grew up in, um, my needs are not the most important needs Mm -hmm. ever. Right. And so even in my relationships, I find at times and sometimes more often than that, slipping into old scripts and past scripts of people pleasing because I can't possibly imagine a circumstance where both my needs can be met mm-hmm. and the other person's needs can be met. You know, yeah. And because those conversations have been so challenging in the past, are they worth happening in the present? And, and so wrestling with and toying with those 
you know, those challenges for communication is, and I think we do run into this as communicators, is we've just had so many negative experiences that it's almost not worth trying again. Absolutely. Well, and that's when we get into those neural pathways too. If every time we tried to communicate growing up, there was a painful consequence that happened, our brains are not going to let us keep doing that same painful thing over and over again, because it continues. It hurts deeper a little bit each time, like each time it cuts a little bit deeper. And so there might be parts of our brains that are like, you know what? Conflict resolution is just not worth it until we find a person. And sometimes it's our therapist. For me, it was my therapist for the first time where I was able to say exactly what I felt and exactly what I meant. And because they were not attached to the problem, they were able to hear it mm-hmm. without that like explosive emotional shame response that comes afterwards or that that fear of abandonment response. And practicing with a therapist allowed me to finally you know, work with my own neural pathways to try something different. I started kind of creating a new pathway that allowed me to better communicate and to feel safe, at least with some people. I still don't feel safe with a lot of people in my life. If I'm being honest, I I would say 90% of people I don't, I don't feel fully safe with. There's like this very small group of people that I feel like I can take most of the armor off. Cause I don't know that we ever take all the armor off. Even Kevin, who I trust probably more than anyone else in my yeah. entire life. There are still thoughts I keep to myself. Mm-hmm. There are still times I look around. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You've got that pile of mess on the floor. And then I have to like talk to myself, right? Where yeah. <laughs> I'll create yeah. a story like, Oh, what a slob. He doesn't care. And I'm like, and he works a crap ton and he'll clean it up this weekend. I could just ask him if I wanted to like mm-hmm. to clean up this pile. And he would do it. So mm-hmm. I don't share those thoughts with him, but I have them. And that could be considered masking as well, that I don't just share it because I think it. Right, right. And there's nothing wrong with masking, you know, like this idea of, again, you know, from a theatrical perspective, you know, demonizing things like wearing a mask or acting, which by the way, the word act, it's just like it means to perform an action. Mm-hmm. It's It's not pretending, it's not, fake. It's not disingenuous. It's just we're performing an action with the intention of receiving a certain outcome. Absolutely. You know, and again, what could be more human than that? But like thinking about, you know, something that you were talking about with the neural pathways, and I equate it to this idea of scripting. And this is another thing that frustrates me with the authenticity movement is I think in authenticity, we want to be like unscripted and improvisational and easy and free. And that doesn't work when we're changing neural pathways, when we're trying to override past scripts that have served our inner child, our inner adult, our inner parent for so long. And so sometimes scripting out exactly what you need to say verbatim and reading it to a person verbatim, it might feel weird. They, They might be upset with you because you're not making eye contact. But if you have something that important to say, Mm-hmm. Don't, and you know that without the script, you're going to fall into past scripts. You're just going to do it the same way you always have, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's the best way that we can perform changing our communication patterns yeah. is by being so disruptive that we have to physically write this thing down and memorize it or read it verbatim so that we get our message across exactly as we want to. 
Absolutely. There have been super difficult things I've had to communicate with people where I've written a script and sent a voice text. Mm-hmm. And whenever I get into conflict with certain family members, we actually have an agreement now, a boundary now, that instead of us saying really hurtful things, which was a past pattern, that we end the conversation there. We take some time to mm-hmm. gather ourselves, care for ourselves emotionally, write down mm-hmm. our thoughts, decide mm-hmm. if it's communicate. Sometimes I have to write a pretty nasty letter first before I can write yeah. down the thoughts I want to share. And then I send a voice text with those. And then they take however long they need to process that. They write down whatever nasty thoughts they need to write about me, I'm sure. Yeah. And then yeah. write what they want to say back and they voice text me back so that we have that like part of the communication that comes from our tone of voice as well. But we're not on the phone where we're going to like get back into our old patterns that we've had for decades and explode on one another. And it's it really has helped our relationship a lot to recognize when we're talking voice to voice and we both get triggered and we're headed down that road where we're going to say nasty things. We end the call so that we can slow down, take care of ourselves emotionally, and then come back to this place where we can communicate back and forth and take all the time we need. Sometimes it takes days for us to process what was said. And come back and we just understand that, you know, if we're worried that the other person isn't going to answer, we can type back and say, are you still thinking? And they'll say, yes, I'll get back to you soon. And it has worked to slow it down when we have really deep patterns of just wanting to say really hurtful things to one another. Yeah. And, And that environment could be more beautifully authentic than that practice. Like Mm -hmm. talk about acting in your own authority to say, this is a boundary. Mm -hmm. We're going to stop here. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. What could be more authentic than that challenging piece of the human experience? Those challenging conflict conversations where we have to say, you know what, this communication is too hard. We're going to stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's not productive. It's actually hurting Mm -hmm. us more than it's helping us. It's getting us further from what we want is to be, which is to be connected with one another. We're getting further away from that. We're actually adding a whole bunch of garbage in between where we are now and where we want to be. So we're going to shut that down. And then we're going to be intentional about how, like what we're communicating and really take some time to think about that and slow it way down. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to go ahead and kind of wrap this part up, which is, you know, does authenticity exist? Um, how do we how do we practice authenticity? and really invite you before we end this episode to those of you who are listening, I want to invite you to take some time with your inner child. We've gone through that for the last couple of weeks. Notice where you have maybe some feelings about how you show up with people in your life or how you're showing up at work or how you're showing up with your kids. Where do you have some feelings? You'll notice that They're the things that kind of bug you whenever your brain is kind of quiet. So when you're washing dishes, when you're getting ready to go to bed, it's those thoughts that are on loop. Sit down with those and see if you can give them some love and acceptance. Instead of feeling like you need to change them, my invitation to you as we're practicing authenticity is, can we accept those parts of ourselves? Can we validate those parts of ourselves? And can we just understand that those parts are doing the best they can? Can we give them a little love? Um, Is there anything you would invite people to do, Chris, before we wrap up this session? You know, 
you know, as we're talking about this idea of authenticity, and I, I, for me, again, it's, I'm so resistant towards the term inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. And if, if you find yourself in a position where maybe you feel like this is becoming more about not being inauthentic than it is about being authentic, get really curious with that. Like mm-hmm. what's showing up for you, what's going on there and show yourself some self-compassion. You know, I said it before and I'll say it again. Like you are the only you that will ever exist. Mm-hmm. You are the most authentic version of yourself at any given moment. And so show compassion to that individual. Again, I love all of this information that's coming out so much more. If we can just remove the term inauthenticity from the vocabulary. Yeah. If we can take away the shame and fear that we're doing it wrong, Mm -hmm. then it becomes, this book actually becomes really great. And Mm -hmm. like you said, I would say 70, 80% of the information I was like, oh yeah, I like that. That's good. But it was that like 20, 30% where it was like, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. I was like, "Eh." which Mm -hmm. is what we're going to be talking about this upcoming episode for next week. We're going to be talking about that binary thinking and why that's problematic. So thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work and just spend more time in your presence? Oh my gosh. I would absolutely love for you to follow me on Instagram at Chris Speaks Up. And then if you want to contact me directly, just go to my website, www.speakintoactioncom.com. And you can find all of my contact information there. Perfect. And we will have all of that in the show notes as well. So you can just one click on it and head on over. Thank you, Chris, for joining me for this session. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk about the next one. And I'll see all of you next Sunday.